Hello and welcome to the Heart of the Hulk podcast. Uh, my name's Ryan Pitcher as ever and today I'm joined by Dom Phillips and the returning Tom Hendry. And there's plenty to look forward to as we go over all the key talking points from the goalless draw with West Ham on Monday night. Plus we look at Sunday's trip to Arsenal and we have a guess who competition in which the winner will win a free £10 bet from our partners over at Fansbet. Plus there's much, much more to chat about so... Let's get into it. So, hello, Dom, and welcome back, Tom. That rhymes. Uh, Being on holiday, have you, Tom? Yeah, I've been to Portugal for a couple of weeks. Oh, nice. Do any uh, scouting trips while you're out there? There is a football camp nearby, but no, I was, wasn't doing a BL so this time. <laughs> OK, so uh, needless to say, anyway, lads, we're going to start with the nil-nil draw at home to West Ham United on Monday night. Loads of chat and social with regards to this game. And so I think we need to look to settle some of the debate that has been going off. Dom, we'll start with you. What with West Ham being reduced to 10 men and having to play the final 25 minutes a man short, does this go down as two points drop for you? I mean, yes and no. I think before the game, most fans would have taken a nil-nil draw. I know I would have for a fact. But the nature of the draw itself does, you know, frustrate us. The issue is that as a newly promoted side, the kinds of games like that where we've, you know, as you say, there are a man down, there's 25 minutes to play and it's nil-nil. Those kinds of games are the ones that we need to be getting the wins in. But so in that, I think that we won't let it happen again. I think that we'll, we'll, now that we've experienced that panic attack, so to speak, we won't have to have that issue now. It's, it's better to have this issue at the start of the season than the end of the season, I'll say like that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And uh, what do you say, Tom? Uh, what was your thoughts on the game? Uh, before the game, I was I was hopeful for a win. I think every Villa fan was hopeful. But I think at the start of the season, you look at how West Ham have started compared to the Villa. I also look at how Sheffield United and Norwich have started. We're on four points. Sheffield United are on five. Norwich are on six. I think a point against the top eight side. Bearing in mind they had ten men, but Villa went down to ten men against... Crystal Palace and we look the stronger side from then on so I think going forward it's it's there's a lot to learn um, but also there was a lot of negatives last night but we'll come on to that obviously. Yeah, yeah of course I mean I, I think the, the, the biggest thing is when you look at the teams that you expect to be in and around is obviously you know the last thing we want to see we, we all love an underdog here in Britain of course uh, but the last thing we want to see is Norwich taking three points off Man City and, and, and those sorts of scenarios exactly. particularly you know, the, the emphasis then goes back to, you know, the, the, the Palace game, um, you know, and, and what happened late on there. And obviously the mistakes against Bournemouth. So uh, last night was just such a, a great opportunity to, uh, to get those three points. Anyway, um, a quick one on the second jello for, uh, for um, uh, Masawaku. Um, now, I thought it was a bit of a harsh one. I don't know whether you you lads think the same. Um, and uh, on Mark Noble, uh, did he deserve a, a second booking for possible simulation based on what happened just before the international break with us? Uh, a little diver, it looked like, in the box towards the end of the first half. Yeah, no, I, think, I think they're right compared to what Grealish did I was screaming from the stands it was, there was no difference 
for, to be honest, for me. Mm. Um, I think Mark Noble was lucky on a few occasions, to be honest, not to get sent, not to get sent off. Mm. Um, but Masuaku, I, he got hard done by. But I think there was plenty of challenges going in in the first half that, like that, wasn't being given a yellow card for them. And Mings had one one uh, tackle in the second half, and that was his one yellow card. I think there was just a, a lot of errors all throughout the game from from Mike Dean. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, but going back to those yellows, I will. I do think the two yellows for Masuaku were justified. The first one was a bad tackle, and yeah, that's a yellow. The second one, he did push him. He did have his arms around him. While Elmo made a meal out of it, it was definitely a yellow. It was off the ball. He had his arms around him, so it's a yellow card. If he didn't give a yellow card for that, I think if we'd have lost the game, Villa fans would have said, well, why wasn't he sent off? So I, I, I would say it's a yellow. In regards to Noble, I think he definitely deserved at least one yellow. He had a few poor tackles. And probably a second yellow for a few ones later in the game, like Tom alluded to. But for that particular diving incident, I, when I watched the game, I was screaming for a dive like you were, but I watched it back afterwards. He just stumbled and got straight back up. So I, I, it would, if the same thing happened to Grealish, you should say the referees are bad, but I wouldn't have given a, a penalty for that. Well, sorry, I wouldn't have booked Noble for simulation there if I was the ref. Yeah, I mean, the, the second one with Masawako is more of a cynical challenge as opposed to, to anything yeah. else. But I don't think there was much contact. I think it was more, it's more, you know, a, a bit of a body thing. It, there, there wasn't much in it to me. So I don't know whether I might be in the minority. I'm not sure there. But I think on the pod, Dom, uh, I think you are certainly in the minority. St- uh, something of a talking point as well. I know uh, Dan's uh, Dan Morgan's released an article on it today, the clash between Mings and El Ghazi. Now, uh, straight after the game, I did appear on Love Sport Radio. And, and I did, you know, I was very honest. And I said, I'd love to see it, a bit of passion. Especially, you know, I referred to what we witnessed last time uh, when we were yeah. in the Premier League and a bunch of players just not given a toss in general. Uh, but was El Ghazi's reaction a little bit on the strong side, Tom? Um, obviously, from the North stand, I couldn't quite see what happened. I saw them come together, but after watching it back, I think I, th- I think it was justified for Mings like for mm. at least having a go because all game, El Ghazi wasn't tracking back. And I think that's his one weakness, not just... Yesterday, I think throughout maybe last season as well, especially we, we would argue that he wouldn't track back compared to other players and he wouldn't give his all on the defensive side. But El Ghazi, you, you can't be doing that anywhere on the pitch, you know, let alone your own player or the other team. For me, I yeah. think he was lucky not to be done, uh, even a yellow card by Mike Dean, because it's simulation and in the rules of, in the rules of simulation, you 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 will get a, a booking at least. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, Anwar never tracks his man. As you said, he, does it, he doesn't do that game. He hasn't, he hasn't done it his whole Villa career. Mings tells him off for it. For some reason, he decides to kick off about it. Mings shouts him off and clears him away. It, well, I just can't get my head around it. It's just outrageous behaviour from El Ghazi, in my opinion. But in the end, I think it's all heat at the moment stuff, really, isn't it? And I don't doubt that it's, there's no place for it in the players' minds now. I think they've completely passed it. It's just a complete scuffle. But as you say, Tom, if the officials had spotted that and paid more attention to it, then cards could have come out easily. And if there's one full-back in, in, uh, that you certainly want the protection, it'll probably be 
Neil Taylor. Uh, <laughs> I know that's one of our favourite jibes of the uh, of the podcast. Um, anyway, um, I guess you could say the one positive from the game is that we did gain our first clean sheet of the season. Uh, but most supporters. Uh, don't really see our backline as much of an issue, to be honest. In fact, I think we could all agree that we're relatively solid in that regard. Another outstanding game, very impressed with Engels, but Mings as well, both of them incredible. Um, but is the lack of cutting edge a concern for you, boys? Well, I mean, I think most most Villa fans at the end of the window said we needed, you know, a side Ben Rama, another winger or a striker from that window, and that was where we fell short. And I think that re- we're really exposed to that last night because our front three, especially without Trezor in there, lacks a lot of mobility. Hot has never been a fast winger, even in the championship he was slow. And at this level, which is even quicker, he's even slower. Anwar's not exactly quickest. He can power pass, but he doesn't have an amazing turn of pace. Wesley, you can see he has a bit of pace, but at the end of the day, he's, he's like six foot three. He's a big lad. He's not a fast, you know, he's not a fast striker. That's not his play style. He's not, he's not a very pacey kind of player. Without that fast movement that gets you in behind the lines to create chances, you're a lot more hard-pressed to score goals, especially with the way we try and play football. So the real takeaway is that we just we just lack pace up front, and we have to address that in January, in my opinion. Oh, no, I, I totally agree. I'm going I'm to make that stat even better because it's our second clean sheet of the season because we had one against Everton. Oh, so, I do apologise. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Ryan. Oh, my uh, days. Yeah, it's, our, it's our second clean sheet of the season. That's the most anyone's had in the Premier League. No one's had two clean sheets. I, I think that's for a bargain or a bargain in Engels and an overpriced Mings, as the yeah. as everyone else called him. <laughs> I think that's a, I think that's fantastic business already done. But going looking at the forward line, I'm, I'm worried about goals, but I think we mentioned that in a few, like a, a few weeks ago. But it doesn't make me... It still makes me confident because I believe Wesley can do it. We've seen flashes of Wesley in the last few weeks. And obviously last night, he, he had a header that just went wide. He should have made more of that. But I think, yeah, El Ghazi, I agree. I agree with you, Dom. El Ghazi and Yotta a bit slow. Well, they are slow. But mm. Yotta last night, he got himself into trouble a number of times. But there was one time where he did really get out of it. And from then on, we caused, we caused them some trouble. But one thing I noticed last night is Yotta and Wesley, they are linking up really well because you can see Wesley wanting to make the runs like he did against Everton for the first goal. And he made that run last night. And if it wasn't for West Ham's solid defence, which I think last night was just a game of two solid defences, I think we would have got through more. But I, I think maybe a change, maybe put Wesley more in a cam position. Not Wesley, sorry, Yotta more in a cam position to help Wesley out. But I think, yeah, when January comes, I think another striker is needed, definitely. I think, uh, me personally, I said at the start of the season uh, when he came in, is I think Yotta does play better (laughs) as a number 10. But when you've got the likes of Grealish in there and McGinn in there, is I don't think we necessarily need him in there. If we didn't have those players, obviously, it would be a dead cert for that role. I mean, on a personal note, is the lack of cutting edges is a major concern for me. In fact, I, I, I did say on the radio last night that I, uh, I believe that, and, and I don't want to be too over uh, melodramatic uh, uh, on the situation, but I do believe that, it, for us at least, it is about 
damage limitation until January. From what I've seen, from an attacking perspective, uh, defensively sound, um, but get to January, not to cut adrift or, you know, certainly in and around the mix of, you know, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, not too far adrift, and then uh, possibly look to add some strength and depth into those areas. No, I, t- I totally agree. I-, I do totally agree. I think we need to, we do need to get some more depth into those areas. We saw in pre-season how good Yotta was. Not, I'm saying it's, it was great, but that was championship opposition at best. Um, but yeah, I think a lot more depth is needed in the forward areas. Yeah. Okay. Well, so the last words on the West Ham game, we don't want to get too hung up on it, chaps. After the game, it seems that Jack Grealish took a bit of a hammering on social media. Um, My personal opinion was that he didn't play terribly. Uh, By no means do I, you know, am I saying that this was his best, he was at his best and obviously missed that chance late on. But I still think he's easily one of our more creative players. Uh, Do you think the criticism of him was fair uh, or simply a knee-jerk reaction from the fan base following what turned out to be uh, very much a night of frustration. Well, I mean, I just think generally that our fan base was a bit reactionary over the game, and I'm not probably going to get slated for that, but for the majority of the game, if you watch the highlights back, you watch the game back, you'll realise this. Jack was our main creative force. He, sprint from, he sprinted it a lot from deep. He pinged the ball around beautifully. But then when it came out to 10 men, I felt that we just our tactic just fell apart, like... We started passing to Jack. That's all we did. The pressure on him uh, was tons. was was outrageous. That sorry, and I think he just misplaced simple passes as a as an almost direct result of that. And I'm not mm. saying that towards the end of the game he wasn't he wasn't you know I'm not saying that towards the end of the game he was good because he wasn't. He was very very poor. But it's hard to get too reactionary. It's Grealish. We all know what he can do. And when the team around him performs better, I'm sure that he'll fall into place. No, walking okay. to the ground last night, I thought, I thought, I totally agree. Like I saw against the Palace, against Palace, he didn't go forward as much, and that's where that's the Jack Grealish we love. We love him to look at the players and run at them. And in the first half, he was doing that a hell of a lot, and I think that that created a number of chances for us. Um, in the second half, for some reason, I saw him more on the left hand side, and I, he he kind of drifted over to the left hand side, and he was playing a bit more deeper. And I think that was more when we did, when West Ham went down to ten men. Um, but well, I think we still got the Jack British we love, and I think there's still many more, much many more better performances to come for Jack British. Obviously, Southgate was in the crowd last night, and I think that was probably one of British's best performances with Southgate watching him. Um, yeah. But I think going forward, he's really got to keep all game. He's got to push forward to that to to attack more we, especially with McGinn last night he was getting forward a lot more too and he, he had a few more shots but it still wasn't as we as we say the cutting edge that we've seen Villa last season and we still wasn't creating as many chances as we know this Villa team can do uh, but Grealish last night I think when they went down to 10 men I think just a lot like a lot of the team they got knackered and um, that was that was the problem we saw Jack I saw Jack, he misplaced a few passes. I saw Marvellous, who had a great debut last night, misplaced yeah. a few passes. And even when Douglas Louise came on, it, I think for me that was the wrong change. I think he should have brought on Hooran. Uh, yeah. Only because for me, Douglas Louise was just more of a defensive, more defensive than Hooran. 
Yeah, I mean, what I mean, my take on Jack is 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 quite simple. Is last night, and, and I've seen this from him quite a bit. Um, last night when we're nil nil and the crowd are up a little bit, you know, with ten minutes left to play, he, I noticed he was dropping very deep, and it was almost as if he was trying too hard. He wanted to really grab the game by the scruff of its neck and be the difference. Uh, and 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 sometimes when you do that, sometimes it works, but sometimes you know you just you just lose it a little bit. Um, and he. he to me, wasn't quite his best in those last 10, 15 minutes or, or, or anything. It, it was just, he was just trying to overdo it, um, you know, getting on the ball and then, you know, overstretching, misplaced passes, as 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 you referred to, Dom. Um, I know you touched upon um, Marvellous and Akamba there. Uh, one very last quick one, uh, Tom. Um, after a bit of a dodgy start grew into the game, you might say, a bit of a dodgy opening 15, but he's certainly uh, impressed. Do you think he uh, could be could be pushing for a, for a starting berth on, on a regular basis? No, I, I think uh, it was a nice shock to see Marvellous in the team last night. Obviously, it was coming because he hadn't gone on international break like Hurahan and Louise had, but I, I thought he had a fantastic game. Uh, excuse the pun, a marvellous game, but no, I think... I, <laughs> I think there's still much more of him to come. Like we could see, he, we could see he wanted to drive forward. Like he, he was more, you know, the Kante role under Leicester when the Leicester won yeah. the trophy. I, I, I could see, I could see watching watching Villa last night. It was, it wasn't so much like well, obviously they had Vardy, Jamie Vardy up front, but it wasn't. It wasn't so much difference because they were creating chances and it was coming from deep all the time and that was it was always coming from marvelous and I think he loved to drive forward. He was very skillful on the ball too and I think him and Louise and who with Hurahan as well. There's some great competition in there. Good, right, right. So it is time to wrap things up for the first part of the pod. We're going to go for a quick ad break and when we come back, we're going to talk racism in football and the uh, damn right disgusting behaviour over in Italy towards former United striker Romelo Lukaku. And we've also got a guess who competition for you guys and we'll be looking ahead to the Arsenal game this weekend, among many other things. See you in a few. As many of you will already be aware, Heart of the Holt is partnered with FansBet, the betting company where 50% of its profits is shared with fan pages like ourselves. Heart of the Holt is a not-for-profit page and we don't make any money from sign-ups. FansBet is just like any other high street betting company, the only difference being is that 50% of any losing bets that you place will be given to us to spend on fan initiatives. With this money, we were able to send dozens of underprivileged families to Villa Park last season and donate a large chunk of money to Project B6. The FansBet app is available to download on Apple or Android devices, and when registering, please select Heart of the Holt as your designated branch. Whilst we'd like our listeners who do enjoy a punt to sign up, we encourage all of you to gamble responsibly. You must be 18 years or over to register. Thank you very much. Hello and welcome back to part two of the pod. Away from the villa this week and we've seen the horrendous ordeal being suffered by Romelo Lukaku over at Inter Milan. Now a couple of days back Italian broadcaster, forgive me, Top Calcio 24 suspended one of their pundits, Luciano Passerani, who said, and I quote, um, 
if you go one on one with him, he will murder you. The only way to come up against him is maybe give him ten bananas to eat. What the actual heck is that, Tom? I just if, if I just I can't even find words to describe anymore. The racism in Italian football is rife. Take Moise Keane, he had to leave Juventus because of it. Even Benucci, his own captain, was telling him off for celebrating in that way and siding with the racist fans on that one incident. It's just it's it's unthinkable now. And while racism is still a massive problem in English football, and I'd never devalue that, I think it just goes to show how much further forward we are with it than our European counterparts. Especially Italy. Yeah. No, I agree. Like I've just heard in the news that Cagliari aren't receiving any punishment for. Yeah, I was just about to mention that. Yeah. And obviously, we're coming. We'll we'll come on to that. But I think the comments made by Luciano Pastriani, or what the hell his name is. He, no one should ever. It's 2019, but whether it was 2018, 17, whatever, yet no one should ever be making comments like that. That was that was that that's back to the 40s, back to the 50s. We're past, we're 60, 70 years on from that now. No one I'm should ever trying, make comments. Like I'm that. not trying to give excuse. I mean, uh, at all, because age shouldn't def- define it. He, he, I read that he was 80 years old. Um, I mean, I've never heard of the guy up until this incident. Um, but yeah, age is, age is certainly no excuse for, for racism. No, I agree. I, I agree. It's absolutely yeah. disgusting. Like, I, I've, seen, I've seen a lot of players, even in Russia, like, once go over to Russia and then leave Russia as soon as like, a, lot of, a lot of black players go over because they, they want to play football. Um, I there was our old player Yannick Balassi. He wanted he wanted to join a team, and Russia offered him team in Russia offered him a contract. Contract, and he's come out and said he he turned down the contract because of the racism. No, no, no player should ever have to turn down the right to play football when they love playing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, second, definitely second that. I mean, back in 2010, I mean, I know it's something that, that we we're just discussing uh, about the seeming lack lack of punishment uh, for Cagliari. I mean, back in 2010, they were fined 25,000 euros for racist chanting towards Samuel Eto'o, uh, who was then, uh, incidentally, of Inter Milan. Uh, more recently, uh, an incident involving Suleiman Tari, who walked off the pitch in a match between uh, Pescara and Cagliari again uh, after complaining um, uh, about receiving racist abuse from the Cagliari fans. And last year, uh, Matuidi uh, also accused the same, uh, that their fans of the same. Now, is it about time, it may seem a little bit radical, but for, for players of colour to unite over in Italy, especially over in Italy and countries that do have a really severe problem with it, and go on strike possibly for one weekend. I mean, that would really put it to the authorities who seem that these who seem to just think that these lackadaisical, um, you know, fines and punishments uh, are, are, are fine to, to go by. I mean, we're in an era where players are transferring for tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of pounds. And, you know, clubs get nothing or just a slap of the wrist of a few thousand euros. That's just not acceptable. No, it's no, not. Go on, Dom, I'll allow you to talk. No, sorry. Um, yeah, how is, I agree. I just think we should have a strike. I think they should all go on strike, honestly, because it, it's archaic, all of this racism. Why would you want to go and play in Italy now, like Yannick Balassi at the night? Why would you go and 
playing Italy, with all the racism, and even your own fans aren't siding with you. I just can't get my head around it. The lack of intervention as well from Italian gov- governing bodies, or by dishing out light fines, and even European and international governing, governing bodies, they don't want to get involved. Why, why aren't they? It's, it's just disgraceful. It just proves I mean, how much, how much. Sorry, sorry about that. It just proves okay. how much power these football clubs have, or they believe that they have, to get away with it. And there's got to be something going on in the background for them to actually accept what's going on, and it looks good in their eyes or the right thing. But for everywhere else in the world, it's not right. And also in France, you've seen it with the homophobic chants and the banners, and Griezmann has come out. In, and said if there was if there was anything said he he wouldn't agree stopping the match because people aren't going to like football i believe that's what he said people aren't going to like it if they stop the match but these things going on in france italy russia wherever it's just it, it's got to stop because it's going to ruin football not just for those fans but also the champions league and the european competitions and the world cup it's gonna make it's it's gonna end up being behind closed doors a lot of matches, and that's gonna ruin football. Yeah, I mean, I, I recall speaking to um, I, I used to work with a French person, and um, we, we were talking football, and she actually said to me, um, we were talking about the uh, France '98 team uh, that won the World Cup, and she actually said to me, um, you know, she doesn't consider them them she referred to them as, as French obviously with the French it's all about the the colonization of a lot of the north and west uh, African countries in particular West Africa um, and um, you, you know a lot of these players aren't necessarily born in France but uh, they've obviously been there pretty much their whole lives um, you know obviously their parents have gone over there for a better life and you know I think that's really really sad uh, that you can't be proud of your national team just because they're you know, from uh, whether it be a different skin colour or they're from originally born on, on in a different country. At the end of the day, their whole development has been in that country. Talking yeah. about the the Lukaku incident, I mean, these comments, um, it's something that you've just alluded to, Dom, uh, about supporters, not, uh, his own supporters not even giving him the backing. These comments uh, are just a couple of weeks after Lukaku scored the winner from 12 yards uh, uh, away at Cagliari, during which he was subjected to those monkey chants. Now, unbelievably, uh, I remember uh, recall watching Sky Sports News in the aftermath of that game. A spokesperson of the Inter Milan fans, their ultras, uh, said, we are really sorry you thought uh, what happened in Cagliari was racist. You have to understand that Italy is not like many other North European countries where racism is a real problem. Uh, before essentially saying that the monkey chants uh, are to be considered as a form of respect by opposition fans in Italy. Now, just how messed up is that? If they believe that's a form of respect, I would love to see what their actual respect is, or it's... what their what what they deem as well not respectful. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's totally messed up. It really is totally messed. I've I've seen the videos, and it it's disgusting. It is. I see. There's one guy who's focused on, it and he's making these monkey chants, and he's performing these actions as well. And I I I. I would I would walk out the ground if that was if if I saw my own fans doing that? Oh well, I and we know Villa fans would never do stuff like that, or hope that we wouldn't anyway. Mm. But I, I think that is totally messed up. Like to not have the respect from your own fans, 
let alone anyone else. Um, but yeah, it's, it's totally wrong. Now, yeah. I know we go on, go on, Dom. Um, I, I, no, I was just, I, I, I was just I, going to agree, honestly. Talking. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good that we're we're, we're, we're talking over one another because it just shows how passionate we are uh, about this case. And um, I know we've veered off the villa, uh, obviously, in this podcast, and sometimes uh, we, you know, we do that. But racism for me is a, is a really big topic. I've got mixed ethnicity family members, and um, you know, over the years, I've been told a lot about the struggles and the abuse that these family members that I have uh, received when they were growing up. Now, um, over the summer I actually put together an article about racism in English football um, obviously nowhere near um, what's going on over in Italy and how I'm not sure that we're really tackling the issue as best as we can uh, and yet this is going on in, in, in modern day football on, on the continent over in Italy in Serie A which is one of the biggest leagues in world football now that's actually quite scary now Dom I don't want to get too political because this is a football podcast after all but does the recent resurgence of fascism and right-wing politics on the continent and indeed here in Britain with Brexit and what I'd personally coin as divisive politics. Has that just given a lot more room for racism to breed? I mean, take into context, politics has a massive impact on all outlets of everyday life, right? Politics impacts everything. So it's natural that with the rise of populists like Farage and Trump that we've seen in the past five years, both pushing right-wing agendas, whether it be build the wall or Brexit, it's only natural that divisiveness is seeping back into global culture and I don't think it's going to stop until these people like Farage and Trump make their ways out of the media. It's certainly not that it's worse, and it's only a matter of time before more big newspaper stories about racist fans at English football grounds become even more common. Obviously, we had a, we've had Millwall recently, I think they did. They did something. I know they've been fan, fined £10,000, whatever punishment you deem that, but definitely, I think, it's going to, I think it's only going to become more common as the political scene becomes more tense and more divided. No, you you mentioned Millwall, Millwall there, Dom, and how they received their fine. To the, like, you look at, I think it was about ten thousand pounds, and you look how much they receive, how how little they received for that. And today, Blues got fined forty two thousand for for the punch on Grealish, and Huddersfield got fined fifty thousand for breaching the rules of their kit. Doesn't that show that we still got a real problem, even with trying to kick it out over here? Yeah. Um. I think I think it's totally wrong how we're well, trying to deal with it. I think if something happens like that, it's got to be, it's got to almost be the stepping stone to make the next the me- the next reason for it to stop. There shouldn't ever be a reason for it to happen. But politically, I think there's always political tensions going on around football and also obviously around the world. But also religion religion has a lot to do with it. Obviously, we set. You've looked look towards the example of Celtic and Rangers. Uh, their their derby is based on a religion, two religions that don't get along. Um, I think that can also create a lot of tension, and also it, it's not really race racism in with that derby, but there was all, obviously the violence and the hate towards the other players. But also there was the video of Scott Brown receiving a lot of abuse when he was entering the coach after his sister died many like many years ago. And stuff like that and racism and anything to do with anything against people's personal lives has got to be kicked out as soon as possible because that we're not there for that. We're, there, yeah. we're here to watch football and we're here to enjoy the time that we have, like, that we are spending time with either friends or family members at the football game 
it's not there. It's not to go there to discuss anything else whatsoever. And I'm sure we'll, uh, we all agree on that. Now, uh, time to get back on to uh, Aston Villa. First up, I do have a competition for you all. Uh, well, all those people that are 18 plus. I'll pass you into the segment um, where I'll explain everything in much greater detail. Uh, when we get back, we'll be looking at the uh, release of the new third kit. I'm sure there's plenty to say on that matter. And we'll also look to our trip to Arsenal this Sunday. See you in a mo. That's right, it's competition time, baby. Now, our partners, Fansbet, have kindly given the pod a £10 free bet to give out to the winner of our Guess Who competition. Love Guess Who. Now, to enter, all you need to do is tweet us at Heart of the Holt with the person you believe I'm referring to in the following five clues. Now, when giving your answers, please hashtag HoffPodFB. You'll be able to find the full instructions over on our Twitter feed and entrance must be 18 years of age or over. Don't worry if you don't already have a fans bet account either as entrants will be able to claim their prize post-registration and all those who guess correctly will go into a random prize draw and a winner will be selected and announced on Friday the 20th of September at 12 noon. Now let's get into the clues. Number one, I began my playing career at Leeds United. Number two, after Leeds United I played for one other club before joining Aston Villa. Number three, I played for Aston Villa in the latter part of the 1990s, where I made a smidgen under 50 Premier League appearances in the two years that I was there. Number four, I managed the club that I began my playing career with from December 2008 up until February 2012, where I boasted a rather impressive 49.7% win record. Number five, I now manage the same club that I ended my playing career and, in fact, started my managerial career at. So there you have it. Those are the five clues. All you need to do is follow the instructions at the top of the segment or simply check out our Twitter feed for more information. Thank you and good luck. Now it's time to get back into the pod. Rightio, uh, welcome back to the final part of the pod. Now it's time to talk about hot off the press. Um, five o'clock today, uh, Villa put out a tweet about this new third kit. Now I won't give my opinion yet. I'll uh, I'll let Dom lead on this one. Dom, give us your verdict on this new kit. Well, I think we'll all be in unison on this in this podcast when we agree that this is. The worst kit in many years that Villa have put out. <laughs> it is and is absolutely atrocious. The red is bright. The pattern is ridiculous. The sponsor looks horrible. The badge looks disgusting. There's just nothing good about it. The only it's like when um, Newcastle signed Andy Carroll and they used him as a front to disguise the underlying problems with Mike Ashley. They're using Ian Taylor on that on the front to disguise the fact that the kit itself is absolutely rubbish. But stick it in Taylor on it and that'll, that'll get people to buy it. Uh, go on then, Tom. What's your, um, uh, what's your verdict? Uh, there's not much to say, to be honest. It's, it's, it's pretty bad. Uh, like they've said that it's going back to the 80s or however long back. But don't re-release it. It's, it's back there for a reason. Make something new. Um, but yeah, I think 
I, I love the home kit and I love the away top, but the quality of both the kits and then the quality, the rubbish quality also lies onto the rubbish shirt that we've just released. It's no, it, it's not very good. And I, I've heard that the Villa have put out saying that we're first going to wear it against Man City. Uh, when we're oh. on the 26th of October, oh, let's, hope, let's hope it becomes a good luck charm rather than a shirt that's going to no. sell for a couple of hundred Fair. quid, to, a couple of hundred quid in a, th- a few years' time, so no one's going to buy it. Yeah, I thought that it was just going to be around for West Ham and Burnley away because of the claret and blue thing, but Man City as well. Oh, no. no, I mean, funny. It, it, I'm. <laughs> what I find really funny is I've just had a message pop up on my phone. Um, and it's I won't reveal too much information, but it's uh, someone I know, an acquaintance who sells knockoff kits. Um, they do look very good, and I've just got this message saying new third kit available. <laughs> uh, as as we speak about it, it's just popped up on my phone. Um, oh, I gotta so yeah. buy it now. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I, earlier on in the week as well. I mean, we're not just talking about the third kit. Earlier on in the week, uh, well, should I say later, uh, latter part of last week, uh, I released an article which received quite a lot of support, I would say, from the Villa faithful. Um, now, this talks about the issues with the kit full stop. Obviously, we've just re- released this disgusting kit. Um, now, we're talking about poor quality, lack of supplies, not fulfilling orders, then not communicating with its customers. Now, this isn't the new villa that, that I know and love. Um, now, and, and funnily enough, I saw the, the tweet that they've put out about this third kit and I saw one of the responses, uh, which says, order now for delivery by March 2020, which sounds about <laughs> right at the moment. Um, now, Tom, what, what do you make of this whole, you know, Kappa thing? We've got them for another two years, which is going to be painful. And just the whole lack of communication from the club. This isn't what we want to see as supporters, is it? It's not what we want to see. I, I agree. It's not what we want to see as supporters, and especially now we've got up to the, the Premier League. But it's something... The lack of communication and how bad it's been is something that's I've spoken to many, many fans about over the last few years. And I, I can remember when we played Liverpool's first game of the season away and we won. I, I was struggling to get tickets, like even though I'd been to most of the away matches the season before. And that was because we promised, the Villa had promised us to move the away credits on. And ever back since then, it's just been a shambles and I contacted the Villa in the week to get my season ticket because it still hasn't arrived. And she said, oh, it's going to be sent out today. And to a word, it was sent out then, but I should have received it a few weeks ago when the season actually started. Like I'm not, I'm not waiting all that time just to use in paper tickets when I want my season ticket to actually have in hand, but going to Kappa, it's, if we've got it for a couple of years, the I think Villa have got to pull their finger out and actually get control of what's going on because quality control is rubbish and it's got to if it's if it's passing quality control, we've got this problem for a few years and I don't think many Villa fans will be to buying be, it for the next couple of years. I don't know. To be fair though, the the problem with kits hasn't just been since we've got Kappa, has it? It's been a long term thing. I don't think it's just Kappa. Perhaps it's fanatics who we've had for a couple of years now. Perhaps. Perhaps it's just Villa themselves because it's not like Kappa doesn't do good kits for other clubs. You don't see these things happening like Napoli have Kappa, you know. Like I don't think it's specifically Kappa's fault. I'm not. A, I'm not. I don't have an issue with Kappa. I have an issue with the clubs 
not addressing this and not following up on the suppliers and saying, all right, why are we getting these problems? We've had these problems for years. It's the same old problems. It's not Kappa, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think we can say that we were, uh, particularly last season, what with the, the shirt design and the robustness of it and stuff, we, and, uh, and and just the, the quality of it, uh, the overall quality. I think we were, you know, probably, um, you know, we, we were lavished a little bit. And uh, I think this season's problems... On, I mean, last season we still had had problems, uh, I believe, with with in terms of supplies and such. But uh, the quality side of things, I mean, you're talking about badges that are you know all, all over the place, you know, wonky and stuff. I mean, these are just basic design flaws. And you know, the fact that you know it's it's taking fans, you know, to really seek out um, communication from the club and, you know, where do I go for my refund? What do I do, et cetera, et cetera. And, and taking days on end to get responses through, whether it be via email, whether it be via Twitter or any other social account that the club are running. I just think it's ridiculous. Um, I, honestly, I do. I, I just think it's ridiculous. Now, um, anyway, enough of that. Um, Arsenal away. Tom, you're going to be going to the Emirates this weekend. Um, how do you see this one going? Uh yeah, I, I I'm really confident to be honest. Like if we if we can defend like we did last night, but improve on what we did more up top. Um, yeah. I I think I'm very confident. Like look at Arsenal's defense compared to ours, and it's almost like they're a Championship defense and we're a Champions League defense. It's uh, especially with Mings and Engels at the back. Um, yeah. no, I I think it's going to be really. I'm I'm really looking forward to the trip. Like. I'm not so much looking forward to going to the Emirates because there's no history at the Emirates, and I've been there a few times. I went there the first time when the Emirate, when Melbourne, the first time Emirates was open, and Melbourne scored the first goal, and there was no atmosphere then. And I went for the, I went for the five nil loss a few years ago. There was no atmosphere yeah. then. Um, the Villa will create a lot of atmosphere. Uh, away days are, are what I live for. That I love them. Um, but yeah, I'm really confident. I, I'm I am really confident. I think we'll get it right, and I think we'll get a win this weekend. Interesting. I mean, back at the start of the uh, 2013-14 season, obviously recall that uh, fabulous 3-1 victory at Arsenal. But since then, um, we've just taken pummeling after pummeling, especially down in London. Uh, you're talking 5-0, 4-0, another 4-0 if you include the FA Cup final back in 2015. Now, you may recall that famous 3-1 uh, win where we had very little of the ball that day, but counted very well. I can't remember the exact stat. I don't have it here in front of me, but I think it was something like 23% possession or something bizarre. Now, uh, Dom, do you see us setting up as a counter-attacking team on Sunday? Or do you think what with Arsenal's defensive vulnerabilities, as Tom's just alluded to, it's better to tackle them head-on and, and, and just go for it? Well, I mean, we have to do a similar game plan to what we did to Spurs, which is classic counter-attacking football. For 70 minutes, it worked, and it was our own undoing. I feel like if we can... You know, with a team that's even worse in defence, they're going to sit with a high line. We have Trezeguet's pace can get us in, be in behind. I think it's a great opportunity to one-up what we tried at Spurs as well. The only issues with Arsenal, they've got great attacking players like Aubameyang and Pepe and, and the mastermind Mesut Ozil. But Lacazette is injured, so that's good. I don't know. I feel like it's definitely a great opportunity to get an upset what with the bad defence. And we showed against Spurs that we do have the capacity to beat these big teams away from home. But I don't want to get too ahead of myself. No, no. no I, I mean, 
I, oh, I think, uh, as, as, as I said, I'm, I'm confident. Um, I, I, I know a lot of people who are, who don't want to come up to like come up to against Man City because it's almost it's almost like a scared factor. They don't want to come against Man City, but I don't think we've got anything to fear against any of most of these teams. Man City and Liverpool, I think there's something to fear, especially Liverpool. But I think the likes of Chelsea and the likes of Man U, you've seen plenty of teams go to Man U in the past few yeah. years and not be not be scared at all. Um, I think I think the Emirates is quite it's quite a hostile place because it, it's a bit a huge stadium. I think sometimes the occasion, just like at Tottenham, we held him for that long. The occasion didn't get us get to us for that long. But first end of the season, we we were gelling. We're still gelling now, but especially that game, you could see we we lacked it in the last 15 minutes and i think this i think this weekend uh i hope hopefully next an upset is on the cards for for the game i think i'd be very intrigued to see whether arsenal persist with this you know playing out from the back uh, which has obviously got them into trouble last weekend and they don't look very comfortable doing it you know i do think there's plenty of mistakes in socrates and uh, david louis um and and i don't i've said it many a time i don't particularly rate gunduzi or, or jacka i'm very i'd be very surprised if they go with two defensive mid defensive minded midfielders against us at home but if they do play this uh, intricate kind of out from the back like they've been doing I'll be very intrigued about whether we actually do push on and, and similar to Watford and make life difficult um, because I can't imagine that that's a, a, a trait that we, w- we would do um, I mean I don't know what you guys make of that but no I mean... go on Dom sorry no go on Thomas alright um, I, I was watching the Watford game, and I think at the minute they're quite similar to Villa because they haven't got many players, like especially attacking players, who can score. Um, I, I can't quite recall who scored for them. It's probably going to be attackers. So like that's my my luck. But um, they they look poor. Like, Watford looked poor in the first half, and Arsenal looked scared. Like that's what a lot of comments have come out and said. Arsenal looked scared going into that second half, or especially the last few minutes, because. Arsenal could have grabbed a winner, but they didn't. They didn't look like they wanted it as much as Watford. I think if we come go to Arsenal and show them what we're made of and put on a great performance, possibly a three like you know possibly like the three-one win, it could be another another scoreline like that. Fair, fair. And um, lastly, lads, um, really want to get your score predictions in for this weekend. Um, what are you going for? Um, I'm gonna go for two nil. Villa. Yeah, two nil Villa. Clean sheet again. <laughs> I was gonna go the other way around. I'll say I'm going. I'm saying two nil Arsenal. It's it's a prime it's a prime upset opportunity for us. But I just don't think the team that couldn't score versus a ten man West Ham on Monday will be able to rock up to the Emirates and leave with three points. <laughs> Even with the context that we've just discussed, I I don't know. I just I don't know if we have that in our lockers five six games into the season. With all the jealousy uh, going on that. I, I don't half struggle predicting defeats. And I hate saying it. I think that's the thing. I hate myself yeah, sorry, predicting yeah. losses. So, you know what? I, I won't do it. I'll, I'm going to go for an entertaining end-to-end 2-2 uh, draw. Uh, in, in a very optimistic manner. Now, um, I'd like to thank you both for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure, as always. Uh, a quick little plug before we go. Uh, now, you might recall last season we had a lot more supporters appearing on our 
post-match Hulk cams on Twitter. Uh, currently, uh, we're down to pretty much uh, Martin Crispin. He's a, a member of the Bucks and Barks Lions. Uh, in fact, he heads that up. Now, he's been doing this for us, and, and we just want more people to get involved. So if you're listening and interested in giving your, uh, interested in giving your verdict post-match, then please get in touch via email at admin at heartoftheholt.online. Once again, that's admin at heartoftheholt dot online and i'll make sure that we get in touch lastly if you have enjoyed the pod then please make sure that you share it among fellow villains your support is very much appreciated and until next time up the villa